Thank you so much for tuning in to Encounter AZ's podcast. We are believing that God is going to use this ministry to change your life. Now enjoy the message. I want to share with you uh, kind of the vision of what God's told us for 2020. I want to pick up where we left off last week. So the title of my message, if you're taking notes this morning, is, Well, Now What? Well, Now What? Uh, Luke 8, 26 through 39. Uh, I want to tie this story into the woman at the well like we discussed last week. I want to start in verse 26 here. It says, They sailed, sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake, from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he'd broken his chains and been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and sorry, they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. He got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Last week, we discussed uh, abiding with Jesus. Our word for our church for 2020 is abide. We believe that this is where God is taking our church. And and last year, we kind of mentioned how when we go into something new, it doesn't mean we abandon the old. What God told us in 2019 was to be available. What God told us in 2018 was the word pursuit, that we were pursuing God with with everything we had. We mentioned last year that it's kind of like an orchestra where at one point in the song, a certain instrument might be playing a little louder and then it dies down and another instrument plays louder, but they're all playing at all times. And so this year, we want to kind of turn up and put our view on this word abide that God has told us. And we talked last week about how we have this river of living water living in us. And yet sometimes in life, we have these wells we keep running to because we get thirsty, right? And we find ourselves no longer uh, seeking after God and we're out and about and we think, ooh, this is gonna fill me up in the moment. Another relationship, um, another drink, another this, another that, whatever it is in your life, there's a well that you're running to to fill some void in your heart because we all get thirsty. And Jesus told us we no longer have to turn to worldly things to fulfill our, our thirst. We talked about how Jesus never had to run to the Father in a time of crisis because he, because he needed to get filled up. He actually was abiding in the Father at all times, so anytime crisis hit, he was ready to act like that because he was not only available, he was ready because he was abiding, right? Remember this? Jogging your memory a little bit? 
Uh, We talked about how we need to grab our own shovel and dig out wells of revival in our own life and wells of prayer and wells of worship. And we can't can't rely on other people and watch them dig. We need to do it for ourselves. So this week, I want to continue down that lane of thought. And I want to share a little more from this story real quick. There's going to be a little more reading, and then we're going to go into it. So bear with me. This is important. I'm going to tie it all together. John chapter 4, verse 15. This is the second half of the story of the woman at the well. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. This is just after Jesus had told her, I'm the living water. If you knew who it was that talked to you, you would ask me and I would have given you living water and you'd never thirst again. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. This is a strange change of subject. Does this seem strange to anyone else? Um, And then it goes on and it says, Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and it has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want and why are you talking with her? Because in this culture, men did not talk to to, uh, women and, and it was a women's place to go to the well and draw the water and it was a different culture at that time. And they also, Jews would never speak with Samaritans in that time. So it was breaking cultural boundaries for him to even be having this conversation. That's why they put it in here. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward them. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But then he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Did someone pick him up Chick-fil-A while we were gone? What happened here? I don't understand. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It is still four months until harvest. I tell you, open up your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Now I've learned something and I've been thinking about the disciples a lot this week and they play into both these stories a little bit and I've been thinking about what it means to be a disciple and I kind of thought about what it means to be a fan. How many of you are sports fans in here? Anybody? A few of you. How many are the opposite of a sports fan? Like okay a sports hater you would call yourself. Okay that's fine too. I've noticed there's different types of fans though. You got like your fans that um, don't really know a thing about the team. They just choose the red team because they have the pretty jerseys. You know what I mean? And, and when the, they're at the Super Bowl party and they're there for the commercials. Where are my commercial people? <laughs> if you're at the, okay. It's all about those commercials. Um, and and the, so that's one type of, I guess you could call them fans. They're barely fans. Um, then there's another type who maybe they have a jersey, but they couldn't tell you anybody else's that's on the team because the only person they know is Tom Brady because they have the jersey and that's it, 
right? You have those types of fans, and, and that's like a, a, a level of a fan, I guess you'd say. But then there are no, there are those that know the team. They could name a bunch of players on the team, but they're not going to cry if they lose, right? That's probably a lot of people in this room like, okay, I'm not that invested. But then there's another level of fan like this guy. There's a picture I have in there. And how many of you are, are like this guy level of fan? Anybody that would do this to a sporting event? No? Okay, thank God. We don't have to pray for anybody. Josh, Nebraska? Is this you at a Nebraska game? Jen, is that him? Okay, we need to, we need to pray for Josh this morning. But I started thinking about this, and when I look at Scripture, I see different types of followers of Jesus as well. I see people who would follow Jesus uh, because they were hungry, and they heard like, he, man, he fed 5,000 people the other day. You should go. He'll, he'll feed you. Like if you get out there and there's nothing to eat, he's going to give you some food. This is like a shallow follower of Christ, right? You're following to get something. I see these people uh, still today. Then there are people who we see in Scripture that encountered Jesus and something changed in their life, but then we don't hear about them again in Scripture that they're following Jesus through the rest of their life. Uh, and then even beyond that, we, we hear about the disciples who left everything to follow Jesus every day of their life. And then even beyond that, Jesus had his inner circle of three, James, John, and Peter, that would go to the side and he would take them up to the mountain where he was transfigured. And in different moments, he would spend just with those three. And then even beyond that, we have one that was with him at the cross, John. Everyone else, like Peter said, I would give my life for you. But when it came, when, when it came down, push came to shove, the only one there was John. And so we see different levels of disciples um, in the scripture, and I think it's funny because we often call ourselves disciples of Christ, right? I'm a disciple of Christ, but when I think about the life that these men lived, that Jesus came to them and said two words, follow me, and they left everything they had known, their careers, um, their parents, their families, whatever it was, and every day of their life, we see them turn their back on all that and say, I'm going to follow you. And I don't know, I'm going to be honest, I get a little convicted when I hear that, because I don't know that that compares with my faith in a lot of ways. And in a lot of people's life, we, we hear people say, it's just a lot, it's overwhelming. I don't hear that disciples ever say that about following Jesus. In fact, I think that they, they had such a connection to Jesus that they, they, would, they, they wanted to give up when they felt like they'd lost him when he died on the cross. But we, we say, oh, it's too much. I, just, I try my hardest. I just can't get to church every Sunday. It's hard. And forget about reading my Bible and, and spending time in prayer and spending time with Jesus every day. That, it's just overwhelming, man. I got a lot of things going on. And do you see the difference between the life that the disciples lived and the life that many of us live today? Um, I don't really think you have to do all that, Pastor Brent. You know, I, I think... I'm more like a very devoted fan who, who, you know, I know a lot about the team, but I'm not going to cry if they lose. I'm one of these guys. I'm not that crazy guy with all that paint on. But I think the disciples were out there, and they gave everything, and they were these crazy people, these disciples of Christ. And, and we often think, I don't think I need to do all that. I don't need to give all those things up. Uh, but I got to tell you this morning, salvation is free. We know that by the grace of God. But being a disciple will cost you something. And oftentimes, we're not willing to sacrifice a thing. We've created this little space in our life where Jesus can fit. 
And he doesn't invade the other areas of our life. I've created a little time on Sunday morning for Jesus to fit in nicely. But this morning, I got to tell you, the, I want to kill the American dream in you. And I want to awaken a heavenly dream in you that says that God has greater things for me. These disciples must have understood something if they would sacrifice all their previous dreams and say, I want this one thing. It's like the man who found a pearl of great price and he buried it in the field. You remember the story that Jesus told? He went and sold everything. Everything he had bought the field so he could have the pearl for himself. And this is the life of the disciples that said, I will give up everything I have to have this one thing. And that thing was Jesus. And there was a heavenly dream that was awakened on the inside of them. That's why we read scriptures that we talked about last week, like seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Remember we talked about keeping your eye on the well, and everything will come chasing after you because goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. We don't need to chase an American dream. We need to chase a heavenly dream, and all of the things that you want will come running to you, all the things that you need. You need to understand something as we enter 2020 and we're going down this road together. Abiding is not a casual thing. You can't casually abide. It's, it's not uh, if I get around to it, I want to abide in God. No, it's saying I want to know God. If I want to know my wife, I probably need to spend some time with her. If I want to know any one of you specifically here, we need to sit down and spend time together. If I want to know you intimately, I need to spend time with you every day. It's not casual, like, hey, yeah, when I, and we do this all the time, when I get around to it, we should go to dinner. Yeah, we'll, we'll find some time, yeah, yeah, yeah. But many times it doesn't happen, it's casual, but to actually know Jesus, we have to engage, it's, it's not a casual thing. That's why what Jesus shows us in John 4 is important, when he talks about this well. And I want to look a little deeper in this, um, this stuff about the well, Jesus, he addressed this in verse 16 through 19, and this is where it got a little weird, remember? He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she said. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So my question is, wait a minute, how did this conversation go from water to husbands to worship? And my question is, was not Jesus always talking about worship? And maybe the woman at the well understood that because she, he was saying, this, this well is where you come when you want to get filled with water physically. And then he pointed and said, but I'm the well that can fill you spiritually. And then, and then he starts pointing at her husband and saying, this is a well that you've been running to over and over, and you have to keep finding another man to keep you, keep you full because you get dry again and thirsty, and, and you thirsty, and you go back for another one over and over. And, and then she says, why do the Jews say we have to worship up there? You know why? Because he was talking about worship the whole time. And she had been worshiping and getting filled up on uh, these relationships after relationships. And so she says, why do we have to worship in a certain place? And Jesus, he, he goes on to tell her, you do not have to be in a specific place to worship. Because you know what he was saying? He was saying, I'm the living water. You come to me and a river will live in you. You worship me. And she, then she says, well, why, do you, why did you say we have to worship over there? 
And so it's important that in verse 21, he says, Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. Abiding is not about drawing from a certain well on Sunday morning. Abiding is not about coming to church because this is the well. Abiding is understanding the well lives in you. And then I can abide in him. I can be a disciple every day. I don't have to walk physically with him like the disciples did in scripture. He's saying a time is coming when you'll worship me in spirit. You're not going to walk with me physically, but every day you're going to walk with me through abiding in prayer and worship and spending time with me. He's saying that there's a time coming when disciples won't, won't see me like this. Jesus wanted us to see that this time was coming where we'll worship him in spirit. That means wherever I am, I can spend time with him. And I've been asking myself all week, why did the disciples see miracles that I think oftentimes we're not seeing in our culture at the same rate and, uh, uh, that we saw in scripture? I'm not saying we're not seeing it at all. I'm saying it seems like from what we read in scripture, we're not experiencing uh, the glory of God in the same way the disciples were at times. Right, Bobby? And, and I think this is a frustration for many. And I've been praying about this this week. And you know what I've, I've realized is not all, but some of God's promises, I believe, are experienced by grown folks. I believe that some of God's promises are experiencing, experienced by learning to abide in him. Remember, again, when the disciples couldn't cast out a demon? And Jesus said, this type doesn't come out except by prayer and fasting. This type doesn't come out unless you've been abiding in, in God. Jesus did not go away and pray and fast. He immediately, he immediately cast the demon out of this man because he had been abiding. That power was ready and available for him. But we refuse to abide. Um, let me give you more details on that. Mature believers, they don't run to Jesus in desperation only. They abide. I believe there's some promises that I don't see Christians experiencing because they refuse to abide. Let me give you Bible. It says in Galatians 4.1, now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he's the owner of everything. You see, he's talking about there's a certain maturity. When you're an heir, you cannot receive, even though you own it, you, you, your life looks no different than a slave until you come to maturity. Let me give you an example. Um, the Bible says that Jesus is the prince of peace, but I see many times people who know Jesus and are in relationship with him live their life without peace. You are one phone call away from losing your peace. You are one bad experience in your day through, from losing your peace. Even though you own everything and all of God's promises are true, you cannot access it until there's a maturity that's learned in abiding in God. Because what does the Bible say? It says, he will keep in perfect peace those whose mind stays fixed on him. And so if I want to stay in perfect peace, I have to abide in him. And there's a maturity that I have to come to receive that promise. I can't just expect it to drop in my lap. And it, we, we want that in our generation. I want everything God promised right now. And he's so faithful that he will fulfill his promises in a moment. But there's some promises I believe that like an heir you cannot receive without the maturity that God calls us to walk in. Abiding makes you mature it opens the door to the powers the disciples saw, I believe. Some of you, to grow up, you need to slow down. 
You need to spend time. You need to learn what it means to abide in Jesus. We want to do everything right now. God told me I'm going to be uh, an evangelist. God told me I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to start a church next week. Sometimes you need to slow down and learn to abide in this season because you're going to need power in the next season. Jesus understood this. He, he often went away and spent time with the Father. Why? Because he knew I'm going to need the power from abiding in the next season. So he always stayed filled up. He always abided. So my question as I'm reading this is, well, now what? What's next? What's the purpose of all this? Why are we learning all this? And the truth is, I abide to be a disciple of Jesus. But why? So I can make other disciples. It's so important that you understand this. Your salvation, God making you a disciple and you abiding in God is bigger than you. You're called to be a disciple and you're called to make disciples. Be one, make one. Look at your neighbor say, be one. Look at your other neighbor, tell them thanks for brushing your teeth and say, make one. This woman, she meets Jesus She begins carrying this living water in her, and immediately she goes and tells the people in her city. Immediately. It says in verse 28, then leaving her water jar. I love that part of this verse. Wait a second. So you mean she's leaving behind the tools she used to use to get filled up. She's leaving behind the relationships that she ran to. She's leaving behind her old coping mechanism where she self-medicated. She's leaving that behind and saying, the only well I'm going to draw from is in Jesus, in spirit and in truth. The only well I need, she immediately left it behind. Wait a second, did she go through, uh, go deeper? Did she go through a discipleship process? No, Jesus immediately sent her home and said, if your life is changed, now go and make disciples. You don't have to be perfect to make disciples. You don't have to have uh, it all together to make disciples. Um, The woman, she went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Then we're going to skip to verse 34. And it says, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Do you have a saying? It is still four months until harvest. I tell you, open up your eyes and look. They are ripe for harvest. Some scholars believe Jesus was literally telling the disciples to look up. Because they believe that the Samaritans were walking across the field. And this verse is more accurately translated, the fields are white for harvest. Because they, these, these fields, they knew that the grain was ready to, to harvest when it became white. There was a white that began to be seen all over the field, and they knew it was harvest time. And this is important because if Jesus is telling them, look up, the fields are white for harvest because Samaritans always traditionally wore white robes. And so if the disciples looked up, many scholars believe they would have seen a, a herd of Samaritans walking towards them to meet Jesus. And so I love this because there's something that we can understand. This woman immediately went to her town to make disciples. She didn't just be one. She went to make one. The power Jesus showed her by giving her this word of knowledge about you've had all these husbands and and now you don't have to drink from that anymore. I'm the living water. It was always purposeful. Jesus never did anything without purpose. Jesus never showed up on the scene and said, who wants to see a miracle? You get a miracle, you get a miracle, you get a miracle. That's not how Jesus operated. 
In fact, Jesus, remember the, the man who was, his friends laid him before him, he didn't immediately do a miracle. He said, your sins are forgiven. That's the greater miracle. But they wanted to see a physical miracle, and so he said, so that you'll know God has the power, or that I have the power to forgive sin, just take up your mat and walk. And then he healed the man, showing that if he can heal the man on any moment he wanted, then he can also forgive his sin, because only God can heal. It was always purposeful. Then we see the same thing in this story of the demon-possessed man. I want to turn it here for a few minutes before we close. Luke chapter 8, verse 39. I want you to notice this at the end of the story. After he, he delivered this man from all these demons, he said, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Look at your neighbor one more time. I want you to tell him something. I want you to tell him, go home. You can look at your other neighbor and say, you can, you can hang out a little bit after church, you can go to lunch, but at some point today, you need to go home. You don't have to say all that, I'm just kidding. It's <laughs> These disciples, I need you to understand something about them. They just came off one of the most traumatic experiences of their life. They were out on a boat with Jesus, a storm began to rage. They thought they were going to die. Jesus came and calmed the storm. And then they get to the other side. And my thought is, okay, I need a little buffer here, Jesus. Let's get something to eat. Let's, let's go watch a movie. Let's just have some chill time because I need to relax. And all of a sudden, a man, a naked man, comes running up to them growling. I can't imagine now. Uh, we almost died in a boat. We get here. Demons. Okay, what's going on, Jesus? Is this like an everyday thing for you? What are we going to do here? But this doesn't mean, i got to tell you, if you experience this in your own life where things have gone from bad to worse, that does not mean God's not in it. That doesn't mean that, that God does not have his hand in this, that he's going to do something. So they step off the boat, they hear this naked man screaming, and he falls at the feet of Jesus screaming. Jesus is not worried, he's not shocked. In fact, the demons, they immediately fall on their knees and begin to beg Jesus. The presence of God made the demons tremble. I love that. There's something that they knew what was about to happen to them. They, they began to say to themselves, we can't stay here. We got to go. And so they begged Jesus, send us into that herd of pigs. And, and Jesus says, all right, I don't eat pork. I'm Jewish. Go ahead. It's fine. They, they go into a herd of pigs. That's amazing because I'm thinking, how many demons were in this guy? What kind of party was going on inside of this guy that, that they, these demons were able to fill an entire herd of pigs? They go and they run off the cliff and they die. The demons, they leave this man and they jump into these pigs. The entire town hears what had happened and they come to find out. They come to see this naked man. And the Bible says they see him sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and in his right mind. just. And I'm sure they're looking all around like, where is he? I ask weird, stupid questions of the Bible. I ask myself, where'd they get the clothes? Like, is Jesus like Peter? Take off that robe. And he's like, I just bought this. Stupid, I know. But they, but they, they see this man seated and in his right man and right mind, and the Bible says the people are scared of him. Isn't it amazing that your people in your life can get so used to you one way, they get scared, they don't understand when God changes you? I got to tell you, not everyone will be excited when God changes your life. 
You know what would happen if you allowed Jesus into your life today and allowed him to change your heart? You'd probably go home and scare some people. Like, oh, who are you? Why are you being so nice? What's happened to you? Why? Since when are you not angry? I don't understand. How do you, how'd you get so free? These people don't even thank Jesus. They cared more about pork than they did about people. They're angry that they lost their pigs. They tell Jesus in fear and they say, leave this place. Jesus never forces himself into anyone's life. And he says, okay. And he leaves. What, what's amazing about this story is Jesus does, this man begs Jesus, can I come with you? And Jesus tells him, no, go home. This almost sounds like rejection. But this is not rejection because I need you to understand something about the church. If we never leave here and we create a cool social club where we all come together and talk about what Jesus did in our life, but we never tell anybody out there, then nobody else besides us will ever know. And so Jesus is telling this man, I want you to go home because I'm not physically going to go to your town, but you're going to go to your town. And you have a river of living water now living on the inside of you. And you can change the people in your town. God wants us to make disciples around the world. Jesus was telling him and he was telling his woman, I don't have to physically go with you back to your town. I'm a river of living water living in you. So wherever you go, I go with you in the spirit, not in person. You don't have to be at church to receive from the well. You don't have to be anywhere in particular. You can worship him wherever you are in spirit and in truth. I remember when I first uh, rededicated my life to the Lord, I'd never experienced the presence of God as a child. I went to church and was raised in a great home, but it was something brand new to me. I remember finding myself in a warehouse working, no one else around, just jumping and lifting my voice in my hands to, to Jesus. No music other than my voice. Just understanding that I don't have to be at church. I want to get something today from this well. I need something this afternoon from this well. I need something on Monday morning. Can I get an amen from this well? That means I can be in my car. I can be sitting in front of my computer at work. I can be uh, digging ditches. Whatever I'm doing, I can plug in and say, I need a river of living water right now because my boss is getting on my nerves because my spouse, no, I'm just kidding. Let's get past that. Because something is happening and I'm not going to run to any other well other than Jesus. There's three quick reasons I want to give you why God would tell you to go home. These are so simple. If you're taking notes, I love to keep it simple like this. The first reason God would want you to go home, want me to go home, you can apply this to yourself, because I know them. I got to tell you, everyone in your life doesn't know Pastor Brent. Everyone in your life doesn't know Keith. They don't know Courtney. They don't know everyone, but you have relational equity with people. You know them. And so you can speak into people that God has surrounded your life with like nobody else can. The second reason why God would tell you to go home and tell me to go home is because they know me. Can you imagine there, there was a season of your life where you ran around a cemetery naked? Every time your friends drive by, they're like, hey, Dave, hey, naked Dave. You're like, you know, whatever, I don't know. But now he comes clothed and in his right man, mind and says, I got to tell you everything Jesus did for me. 
There is a power in that. Why? Because they know you. They know your dirt. They know your issues. They know where you used to, what you used to struggle with. And there's power in a changed life. The last reason, the number three, why Jesus would tell you, us to go home is because I met God. I know I used to be naked. Not me personally, okay? No, move past that. I know I used to be promiscuous. I know I used to be depressed. I know I used to have sin in my life. And some of you have probably, uh, the enemy's told you the excuse, like you can't speak into their life. They know who you used to be. They know you, you're a hypocrite to try and tell them now you are not a hypocrite. You know why? Because what Jesus did in you is sealed. And there's power in a changed life. It shows the power of God is real and it's available to him. The picture I want you to see today is this simple. This woman was stuck going back and forth to this well. Jesus gives her a new well inside of her, tells her, go home. This man had been running around naked and, and uh, de- had demons, and he met Jesus. He wanted to stay with Jesus. Jesus said, go home. I don't want you just to be a disciple. I want you to make disciples. Being a disciple and abiding in Christ is not accomplished at a place. It's not accomplished on Sunday morning. You can give your life to Jesus. You can spend time with Jesus on Sunday morning. We worship Jesus together corporately. I love church. But abiding is not taking place in Sunday morning. Abiding is what you're doing at home every other day, and you're abiding with him in spirit and in truth. And so my word for you this morning is go home. Go back to the people who watched you make those mistakes. Go back to the people you lied to, you stole from, you cheated in the past. Give them a call and say, I just want to tell you I made a mistake and I'm sorry, but God changed my life and he told me to call you and to make right what I did in the past. I got to tell you there's power in that because you are not just called to be a disciple. You're called to make disciples. Don't hide it. These people, when they went back to their town, they carried something that made people say, I got to go meet this Jesus. This woman in Samaria, she carried something that when she went back, And they said, hey, it's five husband Cheryl, whatever. Hey, five husband Margaret. Well, now it's just Margaret because I have a new well. Hey, naked Dave. What, you got clothes on today, Dave? Yeah, I I got clothes on. You You can say full sentences, Dave? What's going on? I met Jesus. And there's there's something that they carried. And my question for you is what are... When people meet you, what are you carrying that drives people to Jesus? Because I got to tell you, you should never have a dry well. We have a drink named Jesus that we can draw from any day we choose. I got to ask myself, and I got to ask you this morning, what are we doing? Are we carving a nice little place in our lives for the creator of all things? who knows the beginning from the end. And we're saying, you know what? I'm going to carve out a little time for you on Sunday morning when I can make it. What what in the world are we doing? He's the center piece of creation. Yet He created all things. That will blow your mind if you think about it. He created everything, yet He chose to come down in the middle of it all and live a life as a man. How can we keep him to ourselves? He's the lion and he's the lamb. 
Think about this. He's the sacrificial lamb and he's the priest. Okay, in the Old Testament, the priest would come and they'd sacrifice a lamb on the altar for the forgiveness of every people's sin, but not Jesus. He's the priest. He comes to sacrifice the lamb and he lays down on the altar himself. He's, he's the mediator and the offering. He's the King of kings and He's the Lord of lords. He's the one who was, He's the one who is right now, and He's the one who's coming again. He's the only mediator between God and man. He's the mighty prophet. He's the bridegroom who gave Himself for the bride. He's the God-man, yet He can be known. He's the way, He's the truth, and He's the life. He is the door. Stop praying for open doors and run towards the door. And I promise you, all of these things will come after you. Goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. He's the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, the pre-incarnated Christ. He's the cross-bearing, suffering servant. He's the crucified lamb. He's the great counselor. He's the bread of life. He's the resurrection and the life. He is our living water. How can you be dry? He is our drink. He's the, he is heaven's apostle. He's the, he's the mighty teacher. He's the good shepherd. He's the great pastor. This is not about evangelism. This is about the great evangelist being enthroned in your heart. How can I keep him to myself? He's crying out to meet people from the inside of me. There's something that's flowing out of me that just says, I, you have to know what he's done. You don't understand. There's more to this. He's the great evangelist that changes my heart to want to reach people. If you don't have that hunger, I pray in the name of Jesus this morning that there's something that raises up on the inside of you because you have a well on the inside of you and I pray it begins to overflow and spill on everybody around you because there's such excitement you can know him I, how can we not be infatuated with him I pray you are so obsessed with him that you can't put your mind on anything else because heaven has a greater dream than your dream he's the victorious one he's the first fruits he's the gospel he's the point of all scripture He's the perfect revelation of the Father. He's the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. He's the purifier. He's the name above every name. He's the Father's will. He's the tabernacle. He's the, the mercy seat. And He's the lampstand. He is the light of the world. He is the covenant. He is the second Adam. He is Jacob's ladder. He is the mighty one. He's the alpha and he's the omega. He's the cornerstone that the builders rejected. He's the mighty warrior. He is faithful and true. Get this, he's the judge, he's the advocate, and he's the redeemer at the same time. That means he sits in the throne room of heaven. He's the judge, he's the lawyer, and he's the one who pays your fine all at the same time. 
The enemy stands no chance. He's the head of the church. He is the great I am. He's the Emmanuel. He is God with us, and he's here this morning. He's the pearl of great price. He is heaven's indescribable gift. He is the Lion of Judah. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one who anoints us with himself. He's our freedom. He's our hope. He's our peace. He is the vine, and he is risen. How can we keep him to ourselves? I hope that it's bubbling up on the inside of you that says that there is victory in the name of Jesus, and it's not just for me. Will you stand up to your feet with me this morning? I don't want to just be one. I want to make one. I want to let somebody know what God has done in me. As we get ready to worship, I want to ask you this morning, maybe there's some of you here this morning that, that like this woman who kept running to this well, or like this man, he had no other answers until he met Jesus. Some of you need Jesus to change your life this morning. I want to have every head bowed and every eye closed. 2020 is a new year. This is the beginning of it, and I believe it can be vastly different from 2019 from the inside out. I'm not saying everything will go your way. I'm saying that Jesus has a plan and there's a joy through everything that happens this year if you just surrender your life to him. If that's you, and maybe you're not full of demons and, and maybe you don't have the same issue in relationships like this woman at the well, but I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart and saying that you've been going to this well and you've been dealing with this, but there's a time that comes where you can sit down and meet Jesus and be in your right mind. If that's you this morning and you want to dedicate your life to Jesus, I want to see you right where you're sitting, where you raise up your hand and say 2020 is going to be different. I see these hands. I see these hands. Anyone else, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, we're not going to embarrass anybody. I just want to pray with you in a moment. Anybody else that says, Jesus, this year is going to be different, you are the vine, and I want to abide in you this year. Father, you see these hands. I want to ask everyone here with me to pray along so no one's left out and just say, Jesus, 2020, I'm going to give you my life. Right here at the beginning, I start with you. I pray you would forgive me of my sins. I pray you would heal my heart. Do what only you can do make all things new. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you worship and give him a hand right now if you believe that, that God is still victorious over sin and still victorious over every bondage? I want to tell you this morning that every word that I just spoke about Jesus is true and you can know it yourself. Just press in right now. Let's abide with the Lord for a few minutes before we leave. Open up your heart and say, Jesus, I want more of you. Let's worship him for a couple minutes.